right, let's go back to uh, church history. <clears throat> We've uh, been talking about Barton W. Stone and his uh, work here in the United States, how he came out of uh, the Presbyterian Church, and uh, we talked about the issues that he had with the Synod in Kentucky, and uh, the differences they had that led to him and, and four or five other men leaving the Presbyterian Church and forming their own Presbytery. And they called that the Springfield Presbytery. And that didn't last long. As they continued their study, they came to the realization that that wasn't correct either. And so they withdrew themselves from that Presbytery, and that's when we talked about uh, that document that they created called the Last Will and Testament of the Springfield Presbytery. 800-word document, but probably one of the most uh, important, one of the most important documents during that restoration period. And so they came out of that, and uh, uh, we talked about uh, as their movement began to build some steam, and they began to talk about their ideas and heading toward that idea of restoring the New Testament church, and everything seemed to be going pretty good. And then we noticed that there were three young men, three missionaries, that showed up on the scene from the Shaker movement. Okay? And we talked about that. Uh, we ended our discussion last time on uh, uh, the theology of the Shakers. They were opposed to marriage. <clears throat> you ought to be celibate. And, uh, you know, if, if you came into that movement as a woman and you were pregnant, they would allow that, but there was no... Uh, Procreation whatsoever, no marriage, no anything like that. And as a result, what happens? Well, you end up just dying out. You become extinct, right? And so, uh, as of 2017, there's only two left in the, in the states. As of 2017, I don't know if they're still alive now or not. That's far back as I can get any information on them. <clears throat> but they were in a, in a, uh, uh, little village kind of place up in Maine, okay? And uh, at any rate, there were three, and in 2017, uh, uh, Sister Frances Carr died, and that left uh, Brother Arnold Had and Sister June Carpenter. Of course, I use those titles because that's how they referred to themselves. Obviously not members of the church. But anyway, the whole purpose that we mentioned that was, while things seem to be going pretty good for this stone movement, Satan doesn't stop. He doesn't say, well, <clears throat> they're, they're picking up a head of steam, so not going to do me any good to continue to try to thwart God's will, so I'm just going to back off. Well, that's not what Satan does. And so, <clears throat> sent these uh, missionaries in, and uh, around this same time, when these missionaries were coming in, uh, another leader in this movement by the name of David Perviance began to notice a problem among, remember we had this group of four or five men, and he began to notice a problem within two of these men, Richard uh, McNamara and John Dunlavy. In those men, he saw what he described as the utmost pride. Okay, Is pride a problem? Pride is definitely a problem. And when we read the uh, the writings of uh, Solomon in the Proverbs, pride goeth before the fall or before destruction. We talk about the uh, qu uh, qualifications of elders that Paul mentioned in First Timothy and in Titus uh, one. Uh, 
First Timothy three, and and what is one of the things that an elder must be? He must have a little age on him. He must have some wisdom, right? He can't be what Paul termed or what we have translated for us as a novice, right? What's a novice? That's inexperienced. Someone brand new, right? Uh, when I uh, began working in the body shop with Joe Masters, I was a novice. You know, after 20 years, I, I was still probably a novice, but uh, I'd learned a little more. And so uh, you can't be a novice if you're going to be an elder, lest you fall into the temptation of the devil. And what would that have been? Well, when we read uh, uh, Jude's statements and other statements, we, we don't want to be lifted up with pride, right? So evidently, one of the problems Satan had prior to being cast out of heaven was pride. Okay, And so these two men working within this movement to restore New Testament Christianity were prideful. Now think about it. They're coming out of these denominational organizations and they prized hierarchy, right? Uh, if, you, if, if you could be the leader of a movement, then they appreciated that. <clears throat> and that goes back, and, and we can learn a lot about that uh, in Jesus' dealings with the, uh, the Pharisees, right? What did the chief priests and the Pharisees like? They liked to be called rabbi. They liked to have the most prominent seats. They wanted to be recognized as uh, someone who was in authority. And we recall Jesus talking about the publican and the Pharisee going into the temple to pray, right? Pharisee lift up his voice and he says, God, I thank you. I'm not like this publican, right? Can you imagine the arrogance to stand before God and presume to to uh, heap accolades upon yourself. I'm not like this poor sinner over here, you know. I'm uh, you're lucky to have me. In essence, is what the Pharisee was talking about, wasn't he? Boy, you're lucky. I'm on your side. And uh, then, of course, we we learn what the what the publican said. He wouldn't even lift up his eyes. He didn't feel worthy to even gaze toward heaven. He smote himself upon the chest and he said, "Be merciful unto me, a sinner." He recognized. His deficiencies, right? And so we're seeing these two men in this stone movement, and uh, uh, the they were seen. It was seen in them this utmost pride, right? And so uh, that's that's an issue, isn't it? Because they were two prominent men <clears throat> that saw a problem with denominationalism. They were part of this group who worked hard with uh, Barton W. Stone to to move toward New Testament Christianity. And so that's a big blow, isn't it? That you see a problem in someone. Well, these Shakers come in, and uh, we're talking about uh, the Cane Ridge area. That's where all this stuff kind of began to grow. Well, the Shakers didn't have any luck in Cane Ridge. They couldn't convert anyone. And so they moved on into Ohio. Well, they moved into this area of Ohio and uh, uh, they began to work on the people there. Now they ran into another preacher who was a part of this restoration movement. He'd come out of the Presbyterian church and his name was John Thompson. Okay, Now he was in Springfield, Kentucky. On their way out of town... They tried to convert John Thompson. Well, John Thompson wasn't interested. He understood uh, 
uh, what the what the effort was. Let's go back to New Testament Christianity. And what about the Shaker movement lines up with New Testament Christianity? Nothing, zero, right? Doesn't even make a good copy or a good counterfeit. And so, uh, but they went on into Ohio at a place called Turtle Creek and a place called Eagle Creek. And guess who they were able to convert? Those two men that had a little problem with their pride. McNamara and Dunlavy. Now that's a huge blow, right? And so what Barton W. Stone began to address that with these men. He pleaded with them and he worked with them and he tried to get them to give up this error and to preserve this restoration of New Testament Christianity and to keep it from being uh, partially or at least partially destroyed by this Shaker movement. Now, we look at that and we say, <clears throat> okay, the Shakers want to be so separate from the world, they don't really want to have anything to do with the world. You, you can't marry. You can't do any of these things. Uh, you know, they were very uh, charismatic in their worship. They... Uh, uh, allowed the women to hold uh, leadership roles, okay? They pushed that as equality. Now, do, does the church believe in equality among men and women? Of course we do. Of course we believe in equality. It, uh, are men in some way smarter and more intelligent than women? It might even be argued the other way, mightn't it? But, do we have different roles? That has nothing to do with equality from person to person. What it does have to do with the roles that God set in place. So we look at all this stuff that the Shakers were doing, how it affected these two prominent men in this restoration movement, and we really look at that and we think, that is just silly, isn't it? That someone could be drawn away with something so ridiculous. But does that happen in the world? Does it still happen in the world? <clears throat> you know, this is a, a, a probably a, an unknown fact within the church. But do you all recall the man Jim Jones back in the 70s? He started a commune in, in uh, Central, Central or South America anyway. And ultimately, it was a mass suicide. Do you know he had ties to the church? He had ties to the church. Now, he wasn't a member of the church, but in some way... and. And I haven't gone into that study, but he had ties to the church, okay? And you think if someone had any, anybody had any kind of a tie to the New Testament church, how could you go off and be into something crazy? Uh, how many of, of you are familiar with Joel Olstein? Joel Olstein, after dinner speaker, you know, claims to be a preacher. You know, his wife is a former member of the church. How can, how can she be drawn off into that? Would you believe there are congregations in the Chattanooga area that have gone into apostasy? Of course there are. There are congregations in the Memphis area that have gone into apostasy that were once very faithful congregations. But that's, you know, fill in the blank. Put in any, any city or town, right? And so we look at these men and we say, such a radical theology would draw these men away who were at one time so... Uh, excited and on fire to restore 
excuse me, New Testament Christianity. How could that happen? Listen, it happens all the time, doesn't it? It happens all the time. So that is why we need to always be bringing to remembrance, right? That's what Peter said in his second letter. Uh, St. Peter 3, I think it was, chapter 3. Uh, you can uh, fact check me on that. But uh, he said, I want to bring to remembrance. And what were those things he was bringing to remembrance? The very basics of the gospel, right? Let's bring to remembrance the very basics of the gospel so we can be able to convert people. Have you ever uh, uh, visited a congregation and at no point from the beginning to the end you ever hear anyone talk about how to become a Christian? You know, they might say something as, as by way of an invitation is if you have a need, come forward. Now, I'm not going to you know, say, hey, that's sinful not to put out the plan of salvation. But would you believe there are uh, uh, an enormous number of members of the Lord's church that can't tell someone else how to become a Christian with book, chapter, and verse? You know, you believe in faith uh, or you believe in repentance or, you know, I don't think, I don't think we ought to be baptized. How can, how can you prove to me that uh, baptism is necessary for salvation? And then all of a sudden you get this blank look on their face. Because they can't point to a verse. Now they may know the theology behind it, but they cannot present that to someone in a logical way. <clears throat> I've been there, okay? I've been there. How do you fix that? You study to show yourself approved before God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing or handling properly the Word of God. So at any rate, you've got these two men, two of you workhorses, right, in this movement. Now they've gone off into this crazy shakerism. I mean, the name alone ought to bring up a red flag, right? Because I don't read about shakers in the Bible anywhere. So anyway, uh, that was a problem. And so to make matters worse, John Thompson... Robert Marshall, they moved back to Presbyterianism. So now what have we got here? We've got Barton W. Stone standing alone. Well, that's encouraging, isn't it? That's encouraging. You're standing alone. You're trying to do something. You're trying to do right, and you've got everybody attacking you at the same time, and everybody's leaving because the pressure's on. And who's that remind us of? Everybody It was a first-century Christian, nearly, right? But here's the thing. What did they do when the persecution came on? People began to attack them. Did they fold up the tent, go to the house and say, I'm going back to to Judaism? No, they went everywhere preaching the word, right? Saul of Tarsus couldn't stop them. He tried. He gave it a great effort. But they couldn't stop them because they understood. And that's what we're talking about, Barton W. Stone. And I think that's why it's very important to understand our history in coming from a period when the church was in great decline after this apostasy and this falling away and the establishment of the Catholic Church and all those Protestant denominations and the Reformations and this and that. And, and, you know, we read about Barton W. Stone who was a brave, selfless man. Did he have all all of uh, his information correct? No, he didn't. He didn't. But he was coming out of darkness on his own and he was doing the best I believe he could do at the time. But we're seeing him grow as we continue 
to read about this man and study his actions. That encourages us, doesn't it? If Barton W. Stone could stand alone, surely as a group we can stand together. You know, but he wasn't the only one. <clears throat> the Christ basically stood alone, didn't he? When he was on the cross, everybody left him. John is at the foot of the cross with him. His, his, uh, you know, a handful of those women, including his mother, was there. Where was everybody else? Hiding out. If the Christ can go to the cross and, and bear the burdens of the world basically alone, that gave Barton W. Stone encouragement, didn't it? Which ought to give us encouragement. That's why it's important to understand what our lineage is, what our history is, and it gives us that encouragement. Any comments? Questions? All right. Meanwhile, meanwhile, all these struggles were going on, the subject of baptism began to be discussed among these people. Now, that was one of the issues, right? <clears throat> you come out of the, the establishment of the church, you go through that falling away, then we see the the uh, coming into existence of the Catholic Church and this and that, and we see that Reformation movement. And where did baptism land in through all of that? Well, baptism, as what it is, just just, just went away, right? Now, we're, how, how do the how do the uh, does the Catholic Church how do they quote baptize their people and at what age? They sprinkle them. And as an infant, right? And so that stuck for a long time. Well, baptism kind of reared its, quote, ugly head, if you were to ask these people, right? And uh, that question came up, and uh, uh, there was this hot debate on it. People were talking about it, right? They couldn't give up the, the, the sprinkling. They couldn't give up the infant baptism. Uh, maybe they didn't agree with it. But it's hard to buck the system, isn't it? So, as all this is going on, there's another man by the name of Robert Marshall. Robert Marshall was uh, a preacher during this restoration period, not as obviously as prominent as Stone or Campbell or, or uh, John Smith or, or any number of these other people, but he was working hard to try to restore New Testament Christianity. And so, he was also thinking about uh, immersion, baptism. And he became convinced the Baptists had it right. Well, Barton Stone, here's what uh, this, this man's talking about, Robert Marshall, and so what does he begin to think? Oh, no. He said the Baptists have it right. So now he's concerned that Robert Marshall's going to kind of break ranks as well because he's already lost all the other men that helped him... Uh, destroy uh, this uh, Springfield Presbytery. He's, so he calls him up. He tries to convince him, you're wrong. you got to get out of this error. So what is the reply of Marshall? Marshall writes him a letter. And in his reply, <clears throat> he puts a death nail in this idea of infant baptism. Now all along, Barton Stone has had a real problem with infant baptism. Why is that? If you read Mark sixteen sixteen, you'll have a real problem with infant baptism, right? <clears throat> Those of us who have had children uh, that were babies at one time, and that's everybody that's ever had a child, how much knowledge do they contain? 
they don't even know they're in the world, I don't think. You know. You know, they know they're hungry. They don't know how to how to express it, so they cry. They know they're uncomfortable. We know it's because they need their diaper change. They don't understand why they're uncomfortable. They don't know how to express it, so they cry. Right? They're sleepy. They don't know what's wrong. They don't want to go to sleep. They don't know how to express it. What do they do, Charles? They cry. Right? So you've got, you've got a human who can't talk, can't reason with you, can't tell you what's wrong, and all they can do is eat, go to the bathroom, and cry. Because it's very rare you get them to go to sleep, right? You can't hardly get them to do that. They just have to, it just has to overtake them and they just pass out nearly, right? I mean, I've been through four of those, right? And so, uh, uh, so Marshall says, look, infant baptism's wrong. And so Stone had to agree with it. He said, well, that's right. I don't agree with infant baptism. And so what that did was, it spurred him on to greater study. I think that is the beauty of studying the Restoration Movement. How did they come to these, this understanding of all these things? And they went to the very source they had to go to, right? Did all of them have everything right? No. Marshall was wrong on a lot of things, but he was right on baptism, right? Uh, Barton Stone was right on a lot of things. He was wrong on baptism. And by the way, again, as we've mentioned before, he was wrong on... Christ being a created being. But he was trying to study his way out of it. So Barton Stone kicked his study into high gear and he began to to delve into the Bible and he began to study and study and study a baptism. And he finally convinced himself that immersion was the scriptural method, which that's what baptism is. You know, you can't uh you can't say baptism, you know, what kind of baptism you believe. If you believe in baptism, it's immersion. That's what it is. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it, it should be translated immersion. That word was never translated. It was transliterated, right? Just given an English ending on it. So it means immersion. It ought to say immersion. But he became convinced that baptism and immersion were the same things. For the remission of sin. He convinced himself. Now, he was convinced of that. But that's still kind of scary territory for the time, right? So, at about this same time, this is going on. He's over in an area. He's holding uh, revivals and, and preaching. And he begins to reflect upon Acts 2.38 to the congregation where he's preaching. He begins to talk about his thoughts on that. He presented his beliefs on the passage. Now later he wrote this and he admitted, he said, into the spirit of the doctrine, talking about baptism for the remission of sin, I was never fully led until it was revived by Brother Alexander Campbell some years later. So, he studied his way out of error on baptism, but he says, I wasn't fully led into the doctrine. Why would that be the case, do you think? He's catching a lot of heat. He's catching a lot of heat. He's being persecuted. He's being threatened. Okay? Now, we don't want to give any leeway to someone who will not completely come out of error, but I think for us to better understand who Barton W. Stone is, we need to understand his viewpoint. 
And we need to understand what's happening at the time, right? He was, again, greatly persecuted. And by nature, he was a very peaceful man. Okay? He didn't like controversy of any kind. So, he would have been very hesitant to take that very important step in this doctrinal migration from error into truth without really contemplating it, right? Spending some time on it. Now, is that a bad thing? No, it's not. We better do that, hadn't we? We better consider things, and not just because someone tells you something, you just swallow it. Hook, line, and sinker, right? Uh, does God expect us to question? Absolutely. Absolutely. He it, Try the spirits, right? That's what John said. Test the spirits. See whether they're in the faith or not. Now, God doesn't want us to question Him as far as His authority or anything like that, but did uh, when we look in the Old Testament, we see that very close interaction between people like Abraham and Moses. And did they, did they have questions for God? Oh, absolutely they had questions for God. Now, did God always give the answer? No, it, sometimes it's just like with parents, right? If you want to, you know, we encourage our, parent, our, our children to ask questions, but sometimes the answer is this. This is the answer because I say it's the answer. The end of the discussion, right? Now, that's not always the case, but sometimes that's the case. And that's how God interacted with, with His people. He would explain what needed to be explained, and sometimes He would simply say, this is the answer because I say it's the answer. And there's nothing wrong with that. Right, and so uh, you know, a lot, all this was all this was going on in Barton Stone's life. So he was kind of mulling this thing over. He wanted to think about it. Now, uh, he wrote about his feelings at the time, and we're thankful for for the biographies that he has and and the uh, or the biographies people have written about him. But re- regarding his feelings at the time. He wrote this. He made this statement. He said, The floods of earth and hell are let loose against us, but me in particular. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever felt like the world's coming down on you? Nothing nothing you do is right? I hope I'm not the only one, but yeah, I think we feel that way sometimes. He says, I am seriously threatened with imprisonment and stripes I expect to receive for the testimony of Jesus. He said, Kentucky is turning upside down. But the truth pervades in spite of man. The scribes, the disputers of this world are gnashing up on us. That's pitiful, isn't it? Kind of reminds me of what Paul said. Man, I've, I've been beaten, I've been shipwrecked, I've been hungry, I've been naked, you know, and on top of all of this, the responsibility of the church on a daily basis. Man, thank God for men like that, right? He also said this, he said, God knows I'm not fond of controversy. A sense of duty has impelled me to advance it, you know, he's a brave man, right? In the simplicity of truth is all my delight. To cultivate the benevolent affections of the gospel shall employ my future life. So knowing all of that, for a whole lot of years, 
Barton Stone was uh, unsteady on this idea of immersion. But he continued to study and want to try to find out what was right. Any comments, questions, statements? Anybody want to brag on me? (laughs) Okay, let's end here. There seemed to be little question with Barton Stone, though, uh, on the design of baptism for the remission of sin. But he was a little hesitant to to press it very uh, too boldly. Okay? Now, sometime in 1821, there was another man by the name of Samuel Rogers. Samuel Rogers was a restoration preacher uh, coming out of the uh, uh, Presbyterian Church. And he attended a meeting where Stone preached in Millersburg, Kentucky. He said the audience was large. They were responding. He said the mourners were at the mourners bench. They were pleading. They were praying. And he said after a long period of time of working with these mourners, Barton Stone stood up to the congregation and he said this. He said, brethren, something must be wrong We have been laboring with these mourners earnestly, and they are deeply penitent. Why have they not found relief? What a beautiful question. We all know that God is willing to pardon them, and certainly they are anxious to receive it. The cause must be that we do not preach as the apostles did. On the day of Pentecost, those who were pierced to the heart were promptly told what to do for the remission of sin, And they gladly received the word and were baptized. And the same day about 3,000 were added unto them. Now this is what Samuel Rogers said about Barton W. Stone. He said he got up, he made that statement. He said the man was beside himself because he knew what needed to be done and nobody wanted to do it. That'll make you beside yourself, won't it? He had to answer. Can Can you imagine someone having some kind of a a terminal illness and you having a cure and you've got 500 of them in an audience and you say, this is the cure. All you got to do is this and it will 100% cure you of this terminal illness. And they're begging and they're pleading and they're asking for help and they want to be cured, but no one's willing to take the cure. How frustrating would that be? But it almost caused Barton W. Stone to never even mention baptism again. And that is where Satan steps in. And he's saying, look, don't you see what's happening here? The people don't want to hear that. But at any rate, any comments or questions? Statements, okay. What we'll do is we will pick up here next time. And we're almost to the end of... Our quick purview of Barton W. Stone and then we'll move into some of the things that Alexander Campbell did and how Barton Stone and Campbell came together and and came to know each other. All right, thank you so much.